My name is uh, my name is Chris Lankford. I'm a pastor down in Long Beach, California, and uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I uh, I'm much more comfortable sitting where you are than, 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 being, than being up here. Uh, I, I, I speak for a living, obviously, uh, do the pastor thing, but I, I also feel like I, I've come to the men's retreat uh, ever since I got married 20, 28 years ago. So I've been just about every year, except for, you know, fire years or COVID years, um, I've been all, every year. And so I've gotten to see a lot of speakers, but I always experience it. From, from where you're sitting. And so it's, it feels a little bit odd. It feels a little bit almost separating for me. So I, that's why I want to allow you to just to get to know me just a little bit uh, because I want to bring that down and not, I don't want to be like, oh, there was this speaker and he talked about porn and I've never heard that at my church and that was really like, uh, you know, whatever, inspiring, offending, whatever else. Um, and so I want you to get to know me just a little bit. So this is my wife, Melinda. Uh, I, like I said, we've been married uh, 28 years, and uh, we, we attend Long Beach Alliance Church, where I was the youth pastor for uh, seven years, and I've been the lead pastor for almost 18 uh, years. And so I've just kind of, I've been there for the last uh, 25 years uh, in, some, in some kind of capacity, and my wife has walked every step of that uh, doing ministry with me. These are my girls. We are, we are avid Dodger fans. I apologize for those. I know there's, we got a lot of we got a lot of Giants fans. I've seen your hats, and we got a lot of even Braves fans. And and um, honestly, you need some some holiness in your life. So, uh, but uh, we are real avid Dodgers fans. But they, th- this gives you a little picture of my uh, two daughters. They both graduated this last year. One from high school and one from college. Uh, my oldest graduated from Simpson University up north in Reading, and my youngest from Long Beach Millican. Uh, and so, because of that, we took them to. Uh, uh, Hawaii. They'd never been to Hawaii before. I love, I love them. And the reason I'm standing up here in some capacity is because I, I know that I need to live a life that is an example of Christ for those three people. And I know you've got these people in your life. I know that there are people in your lives that you, you know, the guys around you or you personally, you, you, need, you need to live faithfully. It's easy to hide from a God that is invisible. The Bible even says that, right? Uh, those of you that have seen uh, and, and heard and, and believe, that is wonderful. But those that have not seen, that have not physically heard, Jesus, they're the ones that are truly blessed. But it's, it's difficult, is it not? This is the physical manifestation of my responsibility and my highest ministry call. I've been, I've been a pastor for a long time. Those are the people that I want to disciple. At the, at the end of the day, these are the ones. I'm the only dad and I'm the only husband that they've got. And I know you've got these people and I want you to keep them in mind. That's why I show them to you because... We should care deeply about what's going on in the interior of our lives for the sake of our families and, obviously, because because God is alive inside of us and we need to live lives that are reflective of that. And when we buy into whatever it is, pornography, alcohol, gambling, 
you name it. I, I mean, I collect baseball cards still. I can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on baseball cards, right? That could become like a, a crazy addiction. I can just transfer what I've got going on over here and transfer it. But who's going to criticize me for collecting baseball cards? Nobody. It can, it can be just as distracting, though, in the, in the, in the mix. And so I, I, it doesn't really matter what the addiction is we want, we want to live lives that reflect Jesus properly. And, and that's like throwing mud on the mirror. That's like, that's like purposely never cleaning the windshield. Nothing can be reflected properly when the mirror is bent and dirty and, and gross. And so we'll, we'll, we'll bring pornography into the center of that. But I do want you to see my girls. I grew up with all women. My mom and dad were divorced, and so uh, I grew up with two sisters and a mom, and I've got two daughters and a wife, and it's so great to be up here with you guys <laughs> because this is the only, only all-male time I get, and so I really appreciate you coming and being here. So with, with that in mind, with, with a little bit of background on who I am, um, let's pray, and then we're going to uh, get into the Word of God. Father God, I pray that you would... Uh, fall upon this place, that you would fall upon these men, that you would push the enemy away from their hearts and minds, that all distractions, God, would, would just lead them back into the flow of what you are doing by your spirit through the word of God in, in creating in us a newness, a, a renewal, a regeneration, a, a God, just bringing up in us from the place where we are stuck in the the tar and the muck and the mess of pornography, God, I pray that you would just draw us up and out of that and that, God, you would purify us and that you would set us onto a path that is redemption, not only for ourselves, but, God, for those that are around us. Inspire us, God. Reveal yourself to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Guys, would you stand up right now in honor of God's word? Uh, I want to read uh, to you this morning the word of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. 1 Thessalonians, if you've got a Bible, certainly open it up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is right after the go eat popcorn, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1 and 2 Thessalonians comes next. And so that's where you're locating yourself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 3, men, uh, put your eyes up on me right now, just eyeballs on eyeballs. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear the word of God. This is what Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed and went to the cross. He prayed that the word of God would change our lives, that it would transform who we are. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Know this. Breathe in and just breathe out all the other stuff so that you can literally inhale the word of God. And here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word means holiness. That word means purity. That, that word means white as snow. That, that word means everything that you might think it means. It, it means that you are set apart from the world for God's purposes, and he places you in the world to actually live that out. 
separated from the world for the world with God's promises. That's the word sanctification. It means to make one holy. It means sainthood. It means all that is pure and is good and is right and underlies the very character of God. That is a huge line right there. Never ask yourself, I wonder what God's will is for my life. It's right there. It's, it's right there in front of your eyes. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Let's be a little more clear. That you abstain from sexual immorality. In my Bible, I have that in parentheses. That is the word porneia in the original language. What does that sound like? Porneia. Huh, yeah, exactly. Pornography. Uh, it's, it's no different in 2,000 years ago than it is today. For this is the will of God, your purity, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. The word Gentiles just simply means those that do not believe in Jesus. That word just means those that are outside of the family of God. Not in the passion of lust like an unbeliever who does not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That you would not transgress your brothers in this matter. Interesting. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, and by the word of God that you have just heard and that you are reading, God is providing you with holiness, with purity, with sanctification in your life. This is the word of God. If you don't hear anything else, please mark these verses and listen to them again and again and again. They will change your soul. You may be seated. Thank you. I uh, started looking at pornography when I was a kid. I found a stack. Uh, as, as people from my generation, I'm 50, um, 53, 54, I cannot remember right now. I'm somewhere in there. Uh, 53, 54 years old. And uh, I found a stack of Playboys in the garage. My dad was uh, military at that time. I was uh, still a young boy. And my mom, of course, I'm looking at, I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, this is something. I grabbed all the guys on my street and said, hey, come on over. You got to see this stuff. And we're like folding out. You know, we're laying, the, we're laying the centerfolds out in front of us on the ground. And my mom walks up. I mean, that's a bad moment. Even when you're like eight you know, years old. Like, you don't want to be caught by your mother looking at pictures of, of naked women. And my mom was just infuriated. She grabbed the magazines, she, she picked them up, and she grabbed me, and she hauled me into my father who was watching sports inside of the house. She threw the magazines down uh, at my dad and, said, and, and she said, talk to your son. So the magazines are down there on the ground. She folds them up and she puts them upside down so that I'm seeing the advertisement on the back. My dad reaches over and flips it right side up. And, she, and he looks at my mom and he, and he says, uh, he's already seen what's inside. Don't worry about it. And he looks at me, he points at me, I'll never forget it. Uh, he says, this is, this is for when you're an adult. Not yet. That's what, that was the guidance my father gave me. You know what every young man wants, right? 
What do we want? We want to be a man. We want to be an adult. We want to grow up. Nobody, when you're a kid, you want to, you want to be big. You want to be strong. You want to be the, the guy. And I knew from the time I was eight years old what that meant. It meant that I was going to look at pictures of girls that didn't have any clothes on. For a long time, because the internet really wasn't around, it was, it was around, but it wasn't, you know, public and it wasn't uh, something that we all had access to. For a long time, uh, struggling with porn was not a big deal because you had to go somewhere. And I didn't do that very often. I wouldn't go into a store and look at pornography. I felt like that was creepy. And I, I went to church and, you know, like I, I had a few boundaries that were around me. But eventually what happened? Pornography has been piped into our pockets, right? All of us have got phones that could probably launch the space shuttle. Uh, and and the, these phones have got connection to everything in the universe, including piping in pornography uh, in, a, in a very accessible and very easy way. I fell into all of that. And the hard part was I was going to Biola University at the same time studying to be a pastor. You can imagine the guilt and the shame that I was feeling. Uh, in fact, I, I want to point out to you on, on one of the pages that you've got uh, in, in, your, uh, in your manual that's right in front of you. I think it's like page 11 or maybe page... No, it's before that. Is it page 8, the pastor, the pastor page? Yep. yep, there it is, page 8. One in five youth pastors. That makes sense. Young people have got more, they're more tech savvy. Uh, one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn. That's uh, going onto a pornography site, spending a few minutes there at least, at least once a month. Look at what the congregation numbers are, though. 70% of congregation members say that if their pastor uses porn, he should probably get out of the ministry. So I, like, you kind of inherently know this, right? When I'm a young youth pastor or I'm a, actually just an intern at the time, uh, I, I knew that this was a problem and I knew that I was supposed to hide it. And so I did. I hid it from everybody that was around me. Um, I, I had been... I had been kind of introduced to this by my dad. I'd been kind of wounded by his words. And, and I began to use the pornography to, to kind of, you know, calm down, to kind of relax, to kind of just, I just used it like anybody would use any other drug. I was using it to do what I would call porning out in, in order to solve other issues in my life. And even having a moment, just a moment of relief from the anxiety and the shame and, the, and, and all the feelings of, of just trying to figure out, going into ministry and doing life and doing college and doing everything else, man, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was messing with my relationship with God. But it got to the point where I just couldn't stop. It was a regular part of my life. Eventually, I had a buddy it's actually a buddy of Brian Mounts, the guy that's doing the seminar in the other room, and mine, uh, a guy named Eric. And Eric came to me out of the blue. I am, I'm now a, a youth pastor, and he comes to me out of the blue, and he says to me, hey, Chris, you struggle with porn? Because we got a group that meets, and uh, we're trying to get over that struggle. And I totally struggle, and, and I, you kind of have that personality. Like he could sniff it. He could smell it on me, right? We had worked together. We had been in ministry together. We had done a whole lot together. We went to college together. And so he called, he just, he offered it up to me. I was now married at this point. And so I, uh, I, 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 I jumped on. That moment in my life changed my, my, my whole life. 
I got involved with a group that was rigorously committed to purity, to holiness, to sanctification. Rigorously in the sense that if somebody pouring out during the week, we didn't just pat them on the shoulder and say, do better next week. Have you been in that group? That's a horrible group to be in. That means you're getting together in a small group and you're just saying to each other, yeah, I, I jacked off this week and I looked at porn. Fist bump, I won't do it again next week. I guess it's creepy. Nobody wants to be in that group. You shouldn't want to be in that group. I don't want to be in that group. Uh, that, that's not what we're about. In, in Christianity, we're about authentic living which means that we are working through something, which means we're going in a direction, which means you have got to have rigorously committed relationships, not only to Jesus, but also to purity. I went to my pastor, the guy that was over me, and I, I told him about what I was dealing with, and he, he just told me to stop it. <laughs> Isn't that great? I was going to show you the video earlier. I mean, a lot of you have already seen it, the, the, the whole Bob Newhart video where he just tells the, tells the girl to stop it in therapy. If that worked, wouldn't we all just do it? If that, was the good, if that was the good solution, wouldn't we just do that? Yeah, just say no. Just stop it. That's been the message for decades in the church. It's also the message that we sometimes say to ourselves. You just need to stop doing this. We shame ourselves. You know, we, we, we pick up that picture of the family, and rather than allow it to motivate us for good reasons, for godly reasons, we allow it to shame us. Man, I, 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 I just suck. I'm not, I'm not being faithful to my wedding vows. I'm not being faithful to my children. I wonder if I'm screwing them up just spiritually in a place that I can't even understand or see. Am I messing up my family? We heap shame on top of ourselves thinking that that shame will get us to stop, and if we stop, that things will get better. Ha have you read the New Testament? Change only, only comes by grace. It only comes by grace. Change, transformation, that, that, that inside of your soul to the outside of your body, the only way it happens is by grace. I, I, I have it tattooed on my wrists. Grace and God's loving kindness. I have to remind myself, not only in board meetings when I'm sitting there, you know, having a long board meeting, but I, I have to remind myself that this is the mark of God on my life. This is what surrounds my heart. It is God's love and it is God's grace. And that's what changes you. Whatever you're trying to do, white knuckling, grinding through the whole thing. I, I even mentioned it on page two, right? Page two of that, that manual, that, that, that all the stresses that we feel, the tired, lonely, anger, hunger, pain, uh, all those kinds of things. And, and, and the way that that puts us into the cycle of, of using porn like a drug and, and it helps out with things. And we get temporary relief and then we just feel bad about the whole thing. We hide it. We're secret. And we try to quit. We, we promise in prayer, God, I'll never do it again. Please separate me for your purpose. All these kinds of things. <laughs> all you're doing is teaching yourself how to sin. That's it. It's just a cycle that's teaching. You're actually teaching yourself how to avoid the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that we can avoid the Holy Spirit, that we can resist the Holy Spirit, even as believers. And, and that process is exactly what that does. And you think to yourself, well, it's just, you know, it's just porn. 
porn is so much more normalized in our culture. You're teaching yourself how to sin in a multiplicity of ways. It may, it may start with porn, but it'll start lumping other things into it in your life. Do not, I beg of you, do not continue to teach yourself how to avoid God and how to sin. If you just look at the next page, there it is, the four, the, the rigorous steps that we use in our church, that we use with our, the ministry that we have uh, to get guys, the industrial strength ministry of recovering your soul from, from a pattern, from a repetitive pattern of pornography. And by the way, por- uh-oh, did I lose it? That's amazing. Literally did nothing. <laughs> um, pornography, you know, it was totally my, that was my computer, sorry about that. Um, where was I going? Industrial strength, soul recovery. Uh, the steps, the steps line up with the with the uh, the cycle that's on the other side. Uh, what 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 does it require to to be able to recover from this? Uh, I, I believe that it requires an anonymous group that you can heal in. Anonymous. When when we host uh, the we call them pure desire meetings at 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 Long Beach Alliance. Uh, our guys can enter in through a door that is, you know, far away, like it's the corner of the parking lot. They can just come in through a, through a separate door so that nobody could see them on the other part of the campus. We schedule our campus where that night is, is really, really just, just a couple of groups that are spread very, very far apart. We have an, we have an incest recovery group. We have, a, we have a group that's dealing with uh, kind, of, kind of a Narcotics Anonymous. And then we have... Uh, the, the group that's guys dealing with porn or, or, or whatever the sex addiction is. It doesn't have to be porn. It can be other things as well. You need to pursue rigorous sobriety, which means there's book work and there's camaraderie. I, I personally, just so you know, uh, and, and the guys that I'm around dislike the word accountability. Accountability, I think, I think a girl thought that up. Um, accountability uh, is, I, I just don't know that guys like getting together and talking about things that they want to be accountable to. But I love camaraderie. I love the idea that we are shoulder to shoulder, living life together, and that we're going forward on something. And in camaraderie, I can say hard things to you because I'm guided to do that in the book. It's rigorous sobriety. It does not tolerate that whole pat you on the back and do better next week stuff. If you have to call me three, four, five, six times a day, in order to begin that process of healing and learn the cycle and trust the cycle, God gives you the cycle to, to follow him. And we just keep taking off ramps off the freeway. We just are like, oh, just, I can't do it. And we, we just take the easy way, the, the, the feel better method. It's, we're surrounded by it, of course. It requires brothers that will be Truly brothers in arms, and the arms being the word of God. It also requires intentional distraction, physical exertion. Um, I used to do triathlon. I, I say that in a scary kind of way. My body does not look like it ever did triathlon. But I, I, I've done like heavy-duty exercise. To be honest with you, baseball cards are a huge part of my current practice of recovery. It gives me peace. I used to do it when my parents were getting divorced. I would sort my baseball cards in the living room. There's a peace that comes over me when I'm sorting baseball cards. It just gives my mind something else to do. I play golf a couple times a week. 
I know not everybody has got that time. But I, I've arranged my schedule to, to do these things. Why? Because physical exertion in your life is necessary to get over physical issues. I'm just telling you the pattern of recovery that we have found that works. When guys will commit themselves to this and they will do these things, it breaks the cycle of sin that's going on in their lives. And it allows us to dig down deep underneath the surface. But it also requires physical exertion. And then finally helping other people who are trapped. Why do, we, why do we follow this method? Well, part of it is because this has been a proven successful method. Part of it is because we're trying to rewire our brains. Pornography, and I know I don't have to go into this too much because we, we've, we've gone over this in past years and we, we, you probably already know this, but pornography fires off all kinds of dopamine and, and chemicals in your brain and it carves neural pathways that are easy, easy access for you. It, it literally rewires your brain. But here's the good news. God made your brain plastic. He made your brain all spongy. You have the ability to cut new neural pathways. But those other ones that are all filled with basically the drug of dopamine that your body releases, that, that's easy access. That's like a super highway. That's an eight-laner right there. The road to recovery is like coming to Hume. It's windy, it's curvy, it makes you nauseous. Sometimes you feel like you got to stop. That's why you don't do it alone. You guys, and me included, were, we were all wounded in community. You, you, you didn't just fall into porn by yourself. Somebody introduced you to it. Somehow it connected in your brain or in, in a friend that you're trying to help out. Uh, it's connected in their brain to something that is painful, something that is wounded, something that is broken inside of us. And every man carries that. Most of us carry deep father wounds. I was, I was going to show you a scene from Ted Lasso where um, Jamie Tart, one of the soccer players, some of you are familiar with the show, so I'm going to summarize. Jamie Tart, one of the soccer players, is confronted by his father, and his father starts calling him names, getting up in his face, kind of slaps him on the side of the head. And Jamie Tart finally takes a swing and just belts his dad across the jaw. It's a shocking moment in, in the Ted Lasso, uh, in the second season of Ted Lasso. Uh, there's a lot of swearing. <laughs> I could not find a scene that I didn't have to bleep out like half the, half the words, so I, I'm not showing it. But the father's escorted out. They bang him around and they escort him out of there. The whole team is sitting there in silence watching and one of the coaches who has set himself up as an enemy, really, to, to this, this other character, Jamie, walks up to him and without any words, he puts his arms around him and he hugs him. And that tough soccer player just falls apart. He starts weeping. My dad left our family. My dad used to take me out on dates with his other girlfriends and tell me not to tell my mom about it. Can I get a bottle of water from the back room at some point? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, I, uh, I've got wounds from when I was a child that, that run deep. And I've gone to counseling, and I've been in groups, and I've led groups and everything else. You know what? Our lives are, our lives are like that cycle. This stuff keeps coming up, doesn't it? You, you never get over it. You never can go to counseling, get over your, your childhood, and then you're fine from there on out. All you're learning is how God provides for you. The four steps of how we 
get guys to, to move away from a, a place of addiction and into a place of flourishing in their relationship with God, that process has to be repeated again and again and again and again and again in order to memorize, in order for your brain to know God will meet me in this. God will meet you where you're at right now. God will meet you in that and he does not expect, thank you so much. Hold tight. God does not expect you to clean up your, your life and then start walking with him. God has invited you in to walk with him now and, and to clean up life as you go. Your life will never be cleaned up. There, there will be days when you get cut off on the freeway and you forget all about Jesus. And you are suddenly judge, jury, and it's going to be justice right now. And I'm going to ride the back bumper of that guy's car. I'm going to pull up next to him. I'm going to give him the year number one sign. And I'm going to forget my identity in Christ. I'm going to replace it with what my flesh wants. It's, it's probably, I mean, I hope not, but it's probably going to happen. And if it's not that, it's something else. And if you're single, someday you'll be married and you'll be tempted every day to say something to your wife that you shouldn't. Those of you that are married, I don't even need to explain that. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be clean enough to match the holiness and the perfection and the goodness of God. He already knows that. And he loves you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do not delay. Do not delay opening up to other people about what you are struggling with, whether it is porn, whether it is some other sin in your life, do not hesitate in opening up to other guys about that because you were wounded in community and you are healed in community. Do not do it on your own. That doesn't actually work. It, it, all it does is delay your recovery for years and decades and, and in your desire to never expose your sin to anybody else, you never experience what James 5 says, which says to confess to the Lord and then to confess to others. I have actually come to the point this last year where I, I will now confess sin. I, I pray with my wife every night before we go to bed. We always go to bed together, and, and when we go to bed, we pray together. And, and as I'm praying, I've begun to confess sin in front of my wife. I'll tell you what, I have not done that in the past unless it was like something really you know, terrible. Um, I've never really tried, you know, Lord, I, I, just, I don't think I'm serving my family well enough. Please forgive me. Lord, I, I've, I've been thinking badly about my, my wife, Melinda. Please forgive me. And it's, I can feel it in my soul. I can feel it in my bones that God brings healing by confession. It's, if we would just do what it says in James chapter 5, we would experience an abundance of healing that we just do not even bother to access because we're so concerned about looking like men. So that when someone walks up to us and says, how you doing? I'm fine. While spiritually we've got bones sticking out and we can't walk and we're just stumbling around and we're crawling, we're crawling around in our spiritual lives. Gentlemen, this is almost a, a universal issue for guys. Almost. It's not completely. So if you're that guy, which I know all of you are, um, that it, it doesn't include, I get it. But this is almost a universal issue. Why is it 
than when it's just guys? Why is it that we can't have a grace-filled environment? An environment that is the same as what Jesus provides to us. Does Jesus chuck you out because you sin? No, because he solved it, right? He didn't just solve your past sins and your current sins. He solved all of your sin. Your sin that goes clear out into the future. The sins you haven't even thought up yet. (laughs) Jesus already took care of them. So why do you go to him for forgiveness in the first place? Because confession heals your soul. It straightens out your relationships, not just vertically with God. It straightens them out horizontally with man. It straightens them out with your girlfriend. It straightens them out with your wife. Or it straightens them out with your future wife. For those guys that are not yet married. You are taking industrial strength cleaner to the interior of your soul. But it requires that we have a grace-filled environment. It requires that we drop our, that we just drop our walls, I guess. I don't even, I wouldn't even call them defenses. I would just call them being socially appropriate. Like if somebody walks up to me and says, how you doing? I don't respond with like, I'm really struggling with porn. That would be creepy, right? It would be weird if somebody like, you go, I'm not sitting with that guy at all this weekend. um, Because he kind of freaked me out when he said that. That's not the environment. But a bunch of you sit around fire pits at night and talk about what the talks were about. You, you, You process through what DJ's been talking about. You process through these things with your cabin mates, with your friends, in the car, uh, and that kind of thing. Drop the wall. Do it intentionally. Somebody has to make the first move. Somebody has to go ahead and say, I take James 5 literally, and it says that I confess to the Lord and I confess to others. And if it's stubborn and it won't go away, I ask the elders to pray over me and lay hands on me and anoint me with oil and pray for healing in my life. But I am a confessional Christian. It'll never happen. If you don't have a men's ministry, that's a grace-filled ministry. Our, our men's ministry shut down. Guys, we're under a lot of pressure. I, I have a lot of understanding. Our, our, I, I said this last night, our uh, porn recovery ministry, I got to throw in recovery. Our porn recovery ministry um, tripled in size. But I know this for sure. I've probably got another 100 guys that go to my church that need to be in those groups that are still insisting on never confessing anything to anyone that would make them look like they're needy. While I understand it in my brain, while I I feel it in my heart, you have to intentionally break through. The church is the original cancel culture. I'm not too sure why church people are so offended by cancel culture. We were the original cancel culture. If anybody made a mistake, boom, they're out of ministry. Boom, we kick them to the curb. Last week, a pastor that was sitting down here in the front row with all of his guys around him stood up in front of hundreds of men at a testimony time at the end of the weekend. He stood up and he said, last night I confessed to my guys that I'm struggling with pornography. A pastor said that last week. Now, I'm not expecting that if you're a pastor, you're like, you know, like, what am I going to do? I'm not not trying to panic anybody. But I got to tell you, the world is changing around us. And we know, we know in our bones that the church that we used to go to before all of this stuff went down, COVID and blue, you know, uh, (laughs) thin blue line and, and all the BLM stuff and all of the election stuff and just all of it, right? CNN. Porn, quarantines, it's poison. It's the stuff that kills you. That's what it has in common. And, and by the way, 
Put in MSNBC if that's what you're, you know, into. Put in Fox News if that's what you want. Guys have asked me, like, why would you pick on CNN? It's like, that's not the point. It's poisonous. If that's all you drink, if that's all you watch, if that's all you check in on, if that's what you are about, it's poisoning your soul. And if you take in poison, it will kill you. That means that our men's ministries need to be grace-filled environments. And I would plead with you. I'm pleading with you, make it an environment that even your pastor could come into and say, I'm struggling with porn. And you guys would simply come around him and embrace him. Let him just be a regular guy. Let him just be one of us. Let's just be a family here and embrace one another and say that whatever else is going on, we're not... That's not going to be the point. Now, am I saying there's no repercussions? No, of course not. If I had done something illegal, I, I, would, I would need to own that. I would need to walk in that. But, but hopefully, we have grace-filled environments that get involved in guys' lives before it becomes that. We don't, we don't want guys to get to that place where they're just imprisoned by all of this. We want to create environments today, right here at Hume, this weekend, that are filled with the grace of God. Because it's his will that you would live pure and holy and good and reflective of his glory lives. That you would abstain from pornography or any sexual immorality. That you, need how to, that you know how to control your own body. Literally, it says that you... Know how to control your parts. I mean, it's actually a little salacious the way that it sounds. Like that you would control the parts of yourself and that you would do so in purity and in honor. The only way that that happens is in a community. At the, I, I wish I had better news. I wish I could tell you just take the blue pill and you'll pop out of the matrix and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, it's just not ever going to happen. Those things do not work. I promise you. You will not regret extending grace to a brother who is struggling with something. And remember, tomorrow you might be the guy that needs it. What you might not need today, you you might need tomorrow. I've been clean for 20 years now. Clean from pornography for 20 years. Since that group where that guy took a risk and said something to me. Um, Eric, Eric was an amazing man in my life. I was, I was starting into ministry, but I got to tell you, I did not get healed overnight. I took porn out, but I still had girls around me and I was still single. I dated, or maybe a better phrase would be I used a lot of, a lot of women in my life, unfortunately. I was an intern at a church. And I dated multiple girls on my own staff team as a junior high intern. Some of them were still in high school, and I was a college-age kid. And I, 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 I'm openly and, and publicly saying, I, I, I did not have good intentions. I did not understand where it was coming from. I just figured this is what you do with girls. Well, when the, when the youth pastor found out, that I was dating multiple girls on my staff at the same time and that I was very, very physical. Not 
having sex, but doing a lot of stuff that you shouldn't be doing, and definitely stuff I shouldn't be doing with the high school girl. I mean, give me a break. This is like so abundantly obvious nowadays. Back then, it was an environment where some of that kind of stuff went on, and about, what was it, seven, seven, eight years into being clean, I felt deeply convicted by the Lord that I needed to go back to all of those girls and apologize. And so I did the hard work. I found them on Facebook. I found them on Instagram. It was probably MySpace. I don't even know what it was. You know, I, I found them and I apologized. But I couldn't find this one girl. I couldn't find her. I tried. I called her brother and asked, hey, c- could you give me her number? And he said, no. You, you, you ruined her. I'm not giving you her number. I just took a step back. I said, totally understand. I get it. Sorry. And I, and I moved away from that. Last year at Couples Conference, uh, let me back up. I get an email from her about a year and three months ago. And she asked, is this Chris Langford that was an intern? Da, da, da. And I, yes, is this so-and-so? And so we started to exchange emails, and she said, would you come and, sorry, that's my computer again. Would you come and, and please uh, sit down with me and my counselor? Oh. I was terrified. This is just a year and a half ago. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was in for. So my wife and I, praying the whole way, drove all the way, several hours, to go to a counseling session. As I walk in, her husband's sitting there. Didn't know he was coming. Oh, man. I wanted to puke at every stage along the way. But I knew what God told me at year eight of my recovery. You, you, you find them, you apologize to them. It's not about you, Chris. It's about them. I sat down and I got grilled for three hours by the counselor and her and her husband. And there were a lot of tears and a lot of apologizing. And I walked out and I felt traumatized, honestly, by the whole thing. It took me a long time to recover from that. In fact, my wife had to contact them and just said, you know, hey, could you tell us, like, what, what the results of all of that were? Because, like, we're, we're just sitting here and we don't know anything. My wife is such a good, oh, my gosh. You know when you're going through porn and you're going and you're dating girls and you're young and everything is great and you're just you know you're hot looking and she's hot looking and like let's be hot together and you do all that kind of stuff and you think there are no repercussions here. I stand before you to say there are. And walking with the Lord means that we go back and we encourage the healing of other people. So I'm at couples conference last year. I'm hosting like I did on like I'm doing this weekend. And for the first time in their lives, they decide they're coming to Hume Lake. Never been here before in their lives. And I see them from across the room. And I swear I was white as a ghost. I walk over to my wife and I'm like, this is horrible. This is terrible. They're sitting over there. He recognizes me, walks over, checks me out, makes sure it's who he thinks it is. And I'm making sure he's who I think he is. And 
I walk up to him and I'm just like, man, I'm so sorry. If you want me to leave, I will. I don't want to get in the way of what's going on in your marriage. He's like, no, but I would really appreciate it if you just stay away from me. Absolutely, I'll honor that. I mean, I'm, I'm broken. I'm just, I'm ripped. I'm shattered by the whole thing. My wife initiates with her. They begin to get into a conversation. Pretty soon, he's looped into the conversation. Pretty soon, they ask me to be part of the conversation. And we sat out on the patio over at Meadow Ranch. Uh, we sat out there for a couple of hours. And we talked about the healing that God had brought into my life. And what Hume Lake has meant for our marriage. And what, what was going on with Jesus, right? We weren't just talking about the sins of the past. We were talking about what had changed in the 30 years since some of that stuff had happened. We talked about the transformation. They were struggling in their marriage. And so we talked, we talked with them about the transformation that God had brought into our lives. We've been, we've been to couples conference every single year since we got married, 27, 27 times minus two for the, you know, the weird years. Uh, we, we, we keep coming back to that because it's so important to us. Uh, I'm not kidding you. On the day that we leave on Sunday, I'm walking down the path to where, I, where my cabin is with my wife. And they're walking up the, the main road in front of uh, Meadow Ranch, just so you can picture it. And they walk up, and, and they, stop, they stop us. And he points at me. He goes, Chris, I've never wanted to hurt somebody as badly as I've wanted to hurt you. But I cannot deny that Jesus has changed you and that you are a different man. And that old guy, he's dead. He's gone. I forgive you for messing up my life. And he hugs me, and I'm just, I'm melted. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I'm, 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 it's everything. I've got so much going on in my head. I, I, I just want to push him away and just go, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I'm so sorry for what I did. I, 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 I had a hard time accepting the grace that he was trying to extend to me. And so he just did not let me go. And he whispered in my ear, I forgive you. And then he says to me, it's okay, you, you, you can hug my wife. <laughs> I turn to her and I'm much like, I, you know, and she's like, Chris, I forgive you. We're good. She's hugging my wife. Then she turns to me and I'm like, you know, I, it, I, I don't need a hug, it's fine. And she just bats my arms down and gives me a big hug. I would never in a million years have thought that that's what God was doing. That he was bringing healing to them and he was bringing healing to me, mainly to me, honestly. That God, 30 years after the events of me dating her, 30 years. I mean, I, I left a very lasting impression. I, I, I feel terrible about that. But, I mean, she was haunted by this for 30 years, all through her marriage. And God began to bring healing and show them a different cycle in their marriage and show me, again, that this cycle of forgiveness and confession and redemption and transformation was still going on in my life. Why? Because, guys, it's, it's actually not about porn. It, it's about why you use porn to numb out 
or, or why you use alcohol, or why you use gambling, or why you use baseball cards, or why fill in the blank, right? These are symptoms that God has allowed to pop up in your life as a little red flag to say, hey, that's an area I want you to pay attention to. We treat sin like we got to just not tell anybody about it. We got to avoid it. We got to stay away from it. Sin is just a flag that God sets up in your life. He allows you to walk into it by his divine sovereignty. He is allowing you to screw up so that it can indicate to you that there's an area of your life that he wants to bring healing into. Quit treating sin like it's the big deal. Get down into each other's lives and find out why. Find out about the brokenness of a kid that, that was abused and mistreated by my, my father and that had to live with my mother and I just resented the authority she had over me. There are so many things in my story that led me into the easiness and the accessibility and the convenience of pornography. All of those things are going on in each one of your lives. And even if you yourself do not struggle with porn, there are going to be other sin struggles in your lives. We have to be a grace-filled community and open up about these things. And we have to dig below the surface and not be offended by the sin of another man. We have to get over our offense to sin. We have to treat it like it really is. We don't want men to sin. The solution to that is to get down underneath the surface. Not to just put, you know, a sore pops up on your arm or on your leg or on your chest. And you just go, I'm just going to put a Band-Aid on that. It's oozing through the Band-Aid. And you're just like, I'm just going to put some cotton on that and more Band-Aids. No, you go to the doctor. And what does the doctor say? Throw some Diosporin on that? No, he takes your blood. He scans your body. He wants to find out what? What's going on on the inside? You should have exactly the same approach. Oh, I, I, I see this thing in your life. It's just a flag. It's just a sore. It's just something that pops up. God's giving that to you as a gift. Don't treat it like it's to be hidden, avoided, buried. You bury that stuff, it grows into a monster. And that monster will take advantage of other people. That monster will bring destruction into the heart of your life. I beg you. It's not about the porn. I beg you to ask questions and listen with a heart that wants to know where it really comes from, what's really going on in the life of another man. I was never in a men's group like that when I was young. That pastor that stood up right here, he stood up last week and he confessed. That guy's in a group of grace-filled men. That he's able to say something like that and he knows that they're going to keep that to themselves. They're not going to go home and tell their wives, hey, guess what? Senior pastor's been checking out porn. I wonder what he, I wonder what he thinks about when he looks at you. I mean, don't, don't, don't get into the heads of the women of the church with this stuff. This is, this is for the men to gather together and have grace-filled environments so that we are pure and we are holy for when we interact with our wives, with our girlfriends, with the women that are, that are at the church to where we do not live lives of objectifying them. I can tell you that the freedom from all of that is exhilarating. It's wonderful. But don't think for a second that I don't struggle. Don't think for a second that during COVID, I didn't want to do what came so naturally. Those, those, 
Those pathways are just burned in there. I have to practice. I have to do what I know. This morning, knowing that I, I interact with a lot of pornographic statistics and, and stuff when I'm doing this seminar, I wrote my, the small group of pastors that I meet with, and I just asked them to cover this time in prayer because I, I know that the temptation falls on me as hard as it falls on you. That even looking at this subject can trigger several of you that are in this room or that are connected to guys that would be triggered by this stuff that are, that are right here. And I, I beg of you, please, when that stuff pops up in your life, ask yourself the question, where's this coming from? What need in my life do I think in my head? Porn's going to solve that. Jacking off's going to solve that. Sleeping with my girlfriend's going to solve that. Avoiding my wife because she's an angry shrew today and I don't want to talk to her. Uh, I'm going to go do my own thing. I feel justified in what I'm doing over here. You can hear how I thought. I would, I would do exactly what DJ was talking about last night. I would demonize my wife. I would demonize my family and I would go and do what I wanted. And I felt like it justified in my heart. Why? Because I suffocate when I'm in those relationships I don't know how to do intimacy. I didn't see it in my family. I, I never learned any of that stuff. I don't know what to do with all these women that are in my life. I don't know how to raise a girl. I don't know how to do any of those things. By the grace of God go I. And by the grace of God go you. But you need to have a community of men that you can process real life with. I beg of you, it's not about porn. Develop that grace-filled environment and don't do, please, don't do recovery alone. It doesn't work. You are wounded in community. The only route to healing in the Bible that we have real clear access to is in James chapter 5 where we are given instructions on how to experience healing. It's in community. You can't just confess to God and then just leave it there. That doesn't work. Be the grace-filled community that your men's ministry needs. And I promise you, I promise you, you will experience freedom that exhilarates your soul and lifts your eyes off of the moment and onto the Lord. I love this scene. I show this scene. I've shown this scene at a couple of my seminars before. Uh, it's, from, it's from Rocky. Uh, well, one of the Rocky, you know, there's like, what, seven or eight of those. Uh, this is Rocky talking with his son, and uh, I'm hoping that we can get the volume and everything. I'm hoping everything works. But uh, I want you to hear this not as a, hey, come on, stop doing that and start doing this. I want you to be a group of men that are unoffended by sin, that treat it like it should be treated seriously, but as a flag from Jesus, and that you don't make excuses. No more excuses. Commit yourself as a men's group together. We're not, we're not here to make excuses. We're here to own what we're doing. We're here to own the stuff in our lives. We're here to own our past. We're, you belong to the king of kings. Jason Andrews has mentioned it several times. First Peter chapter 1. Read those verses. You belong to God. Your lineage is set. If you have trusted in Jesus for your whole life, God has, is transforming you even right now. 
He does so by his word, he does so by his spirit, and he does so in community with other people. So I call on you, hear the gospel in this scene. I love how it ends. Don't forget to visit your mother. Guys, that's, to me, that's just the voice of God. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, just, what, what can I, all right, hold, come here. All right, there we go. Sorry about that. Um, I, I just, I plead with you to hear the gospel in that, in that little piece. It's, it's about living into your identity, right? Your identity is in Christ. It's not just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps like, like he's explained to his son. There's more behind it. You have the spirit of the living God, the spirit that was inside of Jesus, the spirit that carried the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, and all of the early church. That spirit is alive inside of you. But maybe you've buried it. Maybe you've let the shadow of hiding sin get, get in the way of being a grace-filled environment and also confessing in front of your brothers what's really going on in your life. I plead with you around campfires and cabins, on the way to meals. We only do that like seven times a day, it feels like. There's plenty of time, right, to walk with someone and just say, hey, I want to share with you what's going on in, in my life, but I'd like to hear what's going on in yours. Initiate it. Don't, don't just be a hearer. Be, be the doer. And could I beg of you? The one thing I would add to that rocky scene, do what God says is his will. Just don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Just simple. It's right there. Do you want healing? Just read James 5 and do that. Try that out. Just try it out. Tell you what, just try it out and see what happens. Because I believe the Spirit of God will meet you in it.